As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standard Room Only Podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standig, and I cover the Washington Commanders for The Athletic. Uh, do I have a podcast episode for you, jam-packed? Uh, sometimes we just get guests, uh, made available, uh, one after another and you can't say no. So even though I just put up my Jay Gruden interview yesterday, I've got another one here today and I'll have another one before, before we get to the weekend. Today's episode, Boomer Esiason joins the podcast. Yes, of course, the former NFL star, University of Maryland, uh, quarterback he's of course now an analyst on cbs sports and he is a, an ambassador for fanduel because of course now fanduel is available in maryland now that maryland has made sports uh betting legal so boomer and i talked about th- that aspect the fanduel part but also got into what he thinks of the commanders the quarterbacks in general league-wide and got into some maryland on as well. So we'll get to that in a moment. In addition, I caught up with Washington defensive end James Smith Williams uh, this week. Uh, we talked about uh, the season so far for this team, why he likes to engage in uh, uh, silliness with reporters during the locker room, as well as his charitable endeavors that includes a toy drive going on this week that you can hear how to contribute to that. As well, and then lastly, uh, Brad Spielberger from Pro Football Focus. He's been on before, of course, as our salary cap uh, guru that I like to bring on. And I brought Brad on. Uh, we actually, Brad and I actually talked at the end of last week, so that was before the Atlanta game. But a good chunk of the conversation had to do with a story that I posted today on the Athletic regarding Duran Payne and the future of the defensive tackle market this offseason. If you haven't had a chance yet to read my article that went up today, I hope you can do that. It is about how Deron Payne obviously is having a breakout year, and it's coming at a great time because the view from people I spoke with around the league is that perhaps similar to what happened with wide receivers last year where we knew these guys would get paid, but not to the extent that they were, the defensive tackles could be that group this year. That's how uh, some of people around the league see this. So uh, Brad and I talk about that perspective as well. So we'll get to all that here in a moment on the Standard Room Only podcast, which, of course, you can find on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere you do your podcasting. Uh, and again, also make sure you subscribe to The Athletic. I, there is always a, a deal to be had. I think the Black Friday deals are, are, are gone, but th- there's always a, a discount code there to use. So if you haven't yet to, sub, sub, ugh, if you haven't yet subscribed, go ahead and take a look and consider that. I would appreciate it. Um, all right, just a couple quick notes here regarding the team. So I'm talking to you on Thursday morning. So each day, you never know what will be out there in terms of who's practicing, who's not practicing, and et cetera. What we do know is that yesterday. Uh, Trey Turner was not out there. He got banged up, as we know, in the Falcons game. And Washington 
finally <laughs> had Sam Cosme at right guard with Cornelius Lucas staying at right tackle. You've heard me talk about this previously, that if Washington is serious about having its best linemen on the field, they probably have to strongly consider playing Cosme and Lucas together, and that there are some people who long-term think Cosme is ideally suited for guard. Now, we'll see if that plays out, but it looks like he's going to be playing at right guard if Trey Turner is in fact out. I think that's an interesting development, especially when considering you're going up against a New York Giants defense that has a pair of strong defensive tackles in Dexter Lawrence, who, like Deron Payne, is uh, going to be up for, uh, in a, well, he'll be up for an extension this coming uh, offseason, whereas Payne will be a free agent. And Leonard Williams, who is the second highest paid defensive tackle in the league. So, a very interesting development there with regard to uh, Cosme. In terms of Chase Young, we still, of course, don't know what to make of his circumstances. Hopefully, he can, uh, you know, be back soon. But, you know, as you've heard me say recently, it would make some sense to me for them to keep him out this week. Uh, one, the Giants, uh, you know, MetLife Stadium turf is notoriously not so hot. Uh Still doesn't sound like he's they're 100% convinced that he's uh, good to go on his knee, or maybe more to the point that they they're conv- they're not 100% convinced that he's convinced about that. But perhaps that changes over the next couple of days in practice. We will see how that shakes out. Uh, they did start the 21 uh, day practice clock this week for Wes Schweitzer, who's been out for weeks uh, with a concussion. So that's some good news that he is back. Still no sense of whether or not Carson Wentz will be activated. But Ron Rivera said that because of some of the injury circumstances, that may shift some of their planning in terms of the roster. And and to me, if you're even debating the core, and he said that Wentz is sort of in that mix. So if you're even debating that Carson Wentz is going to be, whether Carson Wentz will be activated based on if you need roster spots elsewhere, you know, that kind of says a lot about the idea of that Taylor Heineke starting, and that's probably not in jeopardy for now. Um, let's leave it there. I'll have more on the Giants specifically tomorrow. But right now, let's get into all the fun things I just discussed. We'll start with Boomer Esiason. We'll get to James Smith-Williams, and then we'll get to Brad Spielberger. All here on the Standard Room Only Podcast. All right, this is a real treat for me because this guy was the first college quarterback of my youth. I don't want to age both of us, but uh, he when I was growing up a Maryland fan, he was the, the, the big man on campus without question. Of course, now he's an NFL analyst for CBS Sports as well as an ambassador for FanDuel. Uh, and FanDuel, of course, is now uh, in Maryland operating there to le- legalize sports betting. He'll talk about that with us in a moment. It is, of course, Boomer Esiason. Um, Boomer. What a pleasure. I really appreciate your time. Oh, it's great to be here. And I love uh, going down, you know, all the uh, all the memory road, memory lane, I should say, and thinking about all those great years in the early 80s at the Terps. And I'm glad you were a fan of those because, I, you know, the farther we get away from those and the more touchdown passes and yards that these quarterbacks tend to throw for, guys like me become dinosaurs. <laughs> well, it is definitely a different era, but, I mean, you were so – uh, electric back then. I mean, you know, the, 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 you know, boomer itself, the name and, you know, the lefty was unique. And then of course you were really, really good. Uh, and, and I don't even know, I mean, Maryland's had, you know, it's been, they've had some success here and there. I don't know if there's ever been some, if there's somebody who's equaled your BMOC status since, uh, do, do you have like a memory of, from that sort of vibe that, that kind of just stands out to you about whether it's on the field or off of like, you were the, the guy in college park. I know Stefan Diggs is pretty damn good, and I know there's been a lot of great players that have sure. come, uh, you know, between the two of us, I can tell you that. Um, you know, my memories are great. I was very lucky that Bobby Ross came my last two years, and that was really what set the, the school up uh, for a, you know, a, about five years of sustained success there because of all the quarterbacks that had followed, and we played under Ralph Friedgen. We had Joe Krivak there. We had a great offense, and it was a pro-style offense because prior to that, it was Jerry Claiborne, and Jerry Claiborne taught us how to be tough, 
Jerry Claiborne taught, you know, Maryland, we, we were going to go and we were going to beat North Carolina. We we're going to beat Clemson. We we're going to beat Virginia because we were going to be tougher than them. Um, when Bobby Ross came in, he took that toughness and he refined it. And he made us all better players, made us better. Story that both Ralph Region and Bobby Ross have told me over the years is that the first day that they saw me, Frank Reich, and Stan Galbaugh standing out there trying to throw the ball 80 yards to see who could throw it the farthest uh, in our first spring practice back in 1982, uh, I think it was uh, Ralph Region turned to Bobby Ross and said, I think we're going to be just fine here, coach. Look at these three guys that we have as quarterbacks. So uh, you know, it all came together at the right time for all of us, and, and I'm very thankful for that and have nothing but great memories of the University of Maryland. Yeah, I mean, just to have you and Frank Reich alone back-to-back and what you both were able to do uh, you know, at the NFL level is great. And, you know, as a guy who was rooting for Maryland, I was always bummed that you, know, you had to graduate. Bobby Ross didn't have to leave. <laughs> so what are you going to do? <laughs> right, um, I know. That was the big mistake by Maryland. You know, they should have kept them there, and Bobby should have been there for 25 years. As a matter of fact, I, I just have to say this too for to a Maryland fan, you know, Ralph Friedgen should should have still been there, right? And knowing that Ralph and Mike Loxley are very close, Lox is doing a great job considering what he inherited, what he had to put up with, and what he had to go through to get the team to where it is now. Back to back bowl games, it's that's a pretty good start for Mike Loxley, and hopefully that will continue. Uh, hope so for the, for the fans for sure. Um. Let me veer off of that to quarterbacks in today's NFL. Obviously, there's not a lot of people on the planet at any given time who can play the position at a high level. But it feels like right now we're in this interesting transition period where some of the older guard, you know, um, opposite, you know, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, maybe Russell Wilson are, I don't know, aging out a little bit, taking a step back. And that happens and that's fine to a degree. But it feels like there's the, the position overall feels <clears throat> less competent. I don't know that, that than it has before. And I think perhaps because of that, the play itself this year, everybody's talking about it's not as good league wide. And I'm just curious as a guy who obviously knows quarterbacks, what, what's your sense of where the quarterbacks are right now? You know, Ben, I think we got some real superstars, man. I think when you think of uh, Joe Burrow, Pat Mahomes and, and uh, you know, Josh Allen, sure. people like that, Justin Herbert, uh, there, there are some great players in this league. And I will say there is the disparity between the top, say six or seven, and then the rest of them. There's no question about that. Uh, we've also had a lot of injuries this year. We're seeing a lot of backup quarterbacks having to play. We're seeing quarterbacks having to learn new systems. You know, I think about Carolina. They've gone through three quarterbacks. The Giants and Daniel Jones are trying to learn another system and trying to save his career here. Taylor Heineke takes over for Carson Wentz, who gets bounced out of Indianapolis, who gets replaced by Matt Ryan. So we're seeing a lot of, <clears throat> I would say, quarterback movement throughout the league which I think hurts in terms of overall play. But uh, still, when I think about those superstars that are playing the position, the all pros, the Pro Bowl. So when I think of like a guy like Tua Tunga Bailoa and what it took for him to get here in year three, finally with a new coach and with Tyree Kill added to that offense, you know, I see the greatness of these young quarterbacks coming as long as they find themselves in the right systems. Well, I guess maybe my bias to a degree, because you're right, obviously those guys are – are fantastic, but they all play in the AFC. And because the conference I'm paying attention to mostly, it's not that way. That's what's interesting to me about where Washington is because I I think there's still a lot of questions about their quarterback play, even though they've been winning with Taylor Heineke. But then you look at the quarterbacks who are potentially in the postseason. I'm not discounting Jalen Hurts, but he hasn't done it yet in the postseason. Kirk Cousins historically has not won the big games late. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo has his teams have done well, but people constantly, you know, even his own team wanted to replace him, et cetera. And that's why like, it feels like in the NFC, it feels like so wide open in part because there are the quarterbacks you were just talking about are not here other than of course, Tom Brady, but his team isn't exactly playing well right now. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I will say that Jalen Hurts is definitely in the MVP conversation, you know, and I love what Jalen Hurts has done because he was a second round draft pick, much like I was. And all he has done over the last three years has gotten better each and every year. And then Howie Roseman, their GM, built around him. And now he's got a superstar cast around him. And they're accentuating his, you know, abilities both in the run game and in the pass game. You know, he's a dual threat quarterback, much like Lamar Jackson is in Baltimore. But I would just say that guys like Jalen Hurts, guys like Taylor Heineke, these guys play with chips on their shoulders, man. They they want to prove something every time they go out on the field. And 
part of me really does respect that. I mean, I, I love the story of Taylor Heineke. You know, he wasn't a high draft choice. He's been discarded a number of different times. It's kind of like Mike White for the Jets. <laughs> the Jets attorney to him to save their season and they've selected him over a second overall draft pick in Zach Wilson so you know I'm not saying that you know that the commander fans or the Jet fans have their answer for the future but all I can tell you is that in the in the real-time moment where we're we're looking at this and we're deciding whether or not they're going to be good players you know they are they are having the time of their life and they have the opportunity of their life if either one of them hits it big Think about that. That's like hitting the lottery and they're going to make over a hundred million dollars in their career. So good for them. And I root guys like that on every single time. Yeah, no, no, no doubt. The Taylor Heineke story is you know still unbelievable. Just, you know, a couple of years ago, he was contemplating quitting football. He was sleeping on his sister's couch. This team calls to say, Hey, we, <laughs> yeah. we need, we need some depth. And now here we are, <laughs> you know, he's basically been the starter the last two years. Um, and to that end, I'm just curious, like going into the year, what was your thought about when, when Washington makes the trade to get Carson Wentz? And, you know, he could be back even as soon as this week. Ron Rivera has said they're going to stay with Heineke, it appears, and they're winning. Why wouldn't you? But Carson Wentz has more of the prototype size and arm strength where Heineke doesn't. How would you weigh that momentum versus the, the upside, perhaps, <clears throat> if you view it that way with, with a guy like Wentz? You know, we've also seen a couple of players around the league kind of be disconnected from their locker room. And I'm not saying Carson's one of those players, but it feels kind of like Taylor Heineke seems to be the more popular player for his teammates. I think Russell Wilson has lost the locker room. I know Zach Wilson has lost the locker room for the New York Jets. Uh, You know, I know Baker Mayfield wasn't a big popular guy in the locker room down there in Carolina. So, you know, we've seen some of that around here. You know, Carson had 27 touchdowns and seven interceptions last year for Indianapolis under Frank Reich. And it looked like Carson's career was getting ready to make that turn back to where he was prior to getting hurt with the They get rid of Carson Wentz, they bring in Matt Ryan, and Carson's been kind of stuck now all of a sudden in limbo with his career where it is. Now he's going to make a lot of money, but I think it takes a lot of guts by Ron Rivera to, to stay with the guy that's winning and stay with the guy that's inspiring his teammates. And that, you know, that doesn't get done a lot of times in this league, Ben, I'm telling you. And so Ron deserves a lot of credit. And I'm t- The other thing I'm telling you is that they have the Giants in their next two games and a weird schedule quirkiness <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah. You know, they can, they can make it to the playoffs by beating the Giants and, and covering the Giants like I have over the last – 15 years here in New York and watching them this year, Brian Dayball has done a great job coaching, but they have a, a woeful roster, especially on offense with the exception of an offensive line. If they're healthy, they're good, but they, they don't really have many playmakers. So. Yeah, no, that's what's going to be interesting, obviously. And I was going to ask you about the giants because they got off to this very surprising start. And it seemed like give a lot of credit to Brian Dayball to be coached that group up because like you said, it doesn't look like they had a ton of, of talent now they've lost two in a row but how do you kind of see this matchup because washington's playing pr- really well particularly on defense but they're still they're not an offense it's scoring a ton and if the giants can you know run the ball like the way atlanta did last week you know maybe that causes mm-hmm. them problems how do you kind of see this uh this game coming up yeah i think it's gonna be a very low scoring game i think both of the games between these two teams are going to be low scoring over the next three weeks uh just ne- neither team is explosive offensively although terry mclaurin i would say is probably the most exp- uh, explosive player when saquon Barkley is not healthy i don't think saquon is a no offense to speak of from the wide receiver position or the tight end position at all for the giants so the winner of this game is going to score like 20 points. It's going to be under. It's going to be low scoring. It's going to be tight. And the quarterback that makes the interception or throws the interception or makes the mistake in the fourth quarter is going to end up costing his team the win. That's the way I look at this. And the uh, the Washington uh, Commanders should be uh, – they should be the favorite going into this game. I think they're a point-and-a-half favorite. They should be, and that's the way it should – and I think it's reflective of who the Giants are as a team. I don't think there are a lot of believers in them. Yeah, fair enough. It's wild that this is where we're at with Washington at their favorite on the road against a team that started seven and two. Um, th- th- let me just ask you this. Uh, well, actually, let me just turn to the to the FanDuel aspect of it all. Um, sure. yeah, as I said, you are an ambassador to FanDuel, and it's brand new in Maryland. I speak for a lot of people in the state who I know were happy that it finally got here. Um, just sort of curious. Uh, what, what what's your connection to to, to this? Are you a FanDuel guy? yourself I, I, I am i am a fan guy 
I am a FanDuel guy and I've been with them for about four years. And, you know, and, until it, it got legal here in New Jersey first and then New York and now Maryland. So now there are 17 states where it is legal. Uh, you know, they promote responsible gambling first and foremost. It's one of the reasons why I, do, I did join it. And I'm not going to go in there telling everybody to go put all their money on their team so they can become rich. That's not what this is all about. This is this is really about staying engaged in the game and, and the game that we all love. And it's something that, you know, I enjoy. It, it also kind of, you know, perks me up when I'm watching other games and other other players, especially when I do my parlays and stuff within uh, FanDuel. And, you know, it's just it's a good company. It's a solid company. It's well run. The app is safe, secure. It's fast. It's easy. It's easy to understand. You know, there's so much illicit gambling out there. Uh, I think a lot of these states are smart to be able to to use it and utilize it wisely. And I would suggest that every single person that does use the app and does go on the app to use it as a betting uh, tool, uh, be smart. They set timers on there. They set limits on there. Uh, I, me and my buddies are together, so I have a group of guys that I, I bet with, and uh, it's it, it keeps me it keeps me grounded, if you will, and I. I don't look to get rich by it by any stretch of the imagination, but I do get a lot of juice out of it. I can tell you that. Yeah, for sure. And obviously, as I said, it's it's available now in Maryland and any new Maryland customer that signs up on the FanDuel Sportsbook app and makes at least a $5 bet will receive $200 in free bets. You can download the FanDuel Sportsbook app at uh, your, the Apple Store or on Android. Um, obviously, if you're going to pick players, it comes down to the salary cap and the cost or whatever. If, if you're doing this, that, that one, if you're doing the Sportsbook um, is there, I don't know, am I allowed to ask you, you who would you pick in the Washington Giants game if uh, if, if that's a I thing? Just, yeah, well, I just gave you it. I said, I said, it's going to be an under and it's going to be low scoring and it's going to be tight. So I would not be surprised if the winner in this game is going to be three points. So if you like the commanders, then take the commanders and lay the points. That's the way I look at it. And <laughs> take the under. But uh, uh, like I said, you got to make your own decisions. Everybody's got to look at it. Everybody's got to analyze it. And uh, both Phil Sims and I do tweet out different things that we like about different games each and every week because of our relationship with FanDuel. And this would be one of the games that I'll be looking at being the under and, and a team and a game that's going to be really tight. It would be a field goal game between these two teams. And then just sort of lastly off of that, with regard to the NFC, which seems like a fairly open group, again, odds are a factor. But if you sort of had to put a buck, buck down on, on one of these teams to come out and, and make the Super Bowl or anyone that's who would you kind of pick at this point? I actually like the 49ers. They're probably the best bet. And the reason I like the 49ers is because they have a plethora of offensive weapons. They, they basically have wide receivers, tight end, one of the best left tackles in football, a quarterback that has taken his team to the Super Bowl, and they have the number one defense. And defense is what wins ultimately in the playoffs. And if they have to travel to Philadelphia, which I believe they will end up doing, because I think it will be Philadelphia and of the 49ers in the NFC Championship game, that defense can travel and will get after Jalen Hurts. So I think, you know, the 49ers have as good a chance as anybody in the NFC to make it to the Super Bowl. Uh, well, we'll see. Washington gets to play them in a few weeks, so that'll be an interesting test for them as well. Uh, Boomer, like I said, total pleasure. I really appreciate the time. Uh, everybody go check out FanDuel and, of course, watch Boomer on the CBS. He's, of course, also a mainstay in New York radio as well. Um, greatly appreciate the time. Big pleasure. Look forward to chatting again. A great day, my man. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right. Uh, joining us here on the podcast, big pleasure, uh, defensive end James Smith-Williams, who is not only is he starting defensive end, he's like Santa Claus around here. He is Mr. Uh, you have one charitable endeavor after another, which is really impressive. What you're doing right now is uh, a toy drive for kids. And we'll get to that in a quick sec. You can fill people in how they can c contribute. But I guess just it's getting deep into the season. One more week to the bye week. Yeah. How uh, how, how you holding up? Yeah, um, I'm good. Obviously, winning heals all wounds. So I think we all feel a little bit better than we would if, if things were different. So... You know, we're excited to have such a big game to be going to the bye week with. I mean, I know we, we 
that's like the saying winning cures all does it feel that way like when you when you know like whatever it is like an ankle a hip yeah. or something you're like all right but at least we're winning it's kind of worth the kind of deal yeah absolutely i mean you know we're, we're professionals so we're gonna do our jobs at high level regardless but when you're winning and having fun winning games it, it makes it a lot easier We've obviously been all trying to figure out what's been the turnaround here. You guys have won six of seven. The defense has been playing really impressive. For you, is there anything you look at and go, this is sort of the thing that happened, at least maybe for defense, that that kicked us into another level? I think we kind of just, we all settled into our roles really well, and we all know we're playing off each other. We're playing fast. We're playing violent. People are, we're, we're developing and still growing as a defense. So it's, I think things just kind of clicked at the right time. We've gotten hot. Um, you are you get to play next to Deron Payne. Uh, uh, that's the regular deal. He's obviously having a very impressive year. You've not been around him for a couple of years. Is there something different this year, or is he just finishing the play yeah. at the end? Or what are you kind of noticing with him? I think DP has always been DP. He's always made those plays. He's always been in a position to make those plays. I think maybe the biggest thing now that people are seeing is, is now, you know, now is the TFL versus the Tavi for no game, you know. Now the QB hits our sacks. I think that's kind of what people are noticing more, but he's always been that, that freaking nature type of guy. Yeah, no, it's really been interesting to see him uh, develop like that. Um, speaking of swag, the Brian Robinson big hat, mm-hmm. or is that on your list of things you need from uh, Santa Claus this year? It is not on my list, but it's very cool. It's really, really cool hat, but it's not, it's not for me. It's not for me. When, when you saw it, were you like, what is going on here? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, he wore it to the game, and guys wear a lot of different things. So, uh, look, it's nothing out of the usual. Um, and Taylor Heineke with the shoes, he's yeah. been doling them out for the offense. When When's he getting to you guys? I've asked him several times. I think he's avoiding us at this point. It's really hurtful. I hope he hears this and knows how badly defensive linemen need a new pair of jets. A- absolutely. And you are, a bit, are an interesting player for us in this locker room because you like to – have fun with us yeah. and, uh, th- you know, be playful with us. What, 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 what's your take of, of what's going on with us? Why, why, why do you like uh, in- engaging with us in that fun way? Um, maybe you guys are cool. Uh, I, have, I have my clear favorites. You know, uh, J.P. Finley Jr. is up there. You're up there. Sam's up there. Like, there's, there's some people. Um, you know, you write for The Athletic. It's not the New York Times, but I guess it's a, a close – Close I mean, we're owned by the New York Times, so you know. But it's not. That's that's you know subsidiary. That is by definition. No, totally fair. Secondary, yeah. I'm not, no, no offense. I don't know why New York Times would have a, a beat reporter on us, but nah, I enjoy it, man. I enjoy the banner. Um, yeah, no, we we enjoy it too. It's been interesting because you know we didn't, none of us knew what was going to happen coming right. back into the locker room after two years, and uh, I don't know. From our perspective, it's been it's been good. Hopefully for you yeah, guys, it's, yeah. it hasn't been intrusive. It's all right. It's all right. It, it, it is different, right? Um, having COVID and and even last year, I wasn't used to this. This dynamic is very new to me, but it's been I've been able to navigate it. <laughs> um, so let's talk about your uh, your endeavor here. You're doing a, a, a toy drive. Mm-hmm. Tell everybody kind of what it's about, how you got involved, and how people can uh, contribute. Yes, I've been doing this since my rookie year. Um, essentially what it is is there are families or children that have been displaced because of violence that are spending the holidays in shelters, and it's kind of a, a really big deal to know that there are people out there that care about them, that love them, and, you know, that's what getting that gift, you know, when they receive that gift, that's what they feel inside, that love, and someone cares about me, someone's thinking about me because um, they're often forgotten just because the nature of the secrecy of the shelters and you know, interact with the kids. You can't go there yourself, so it, it gets really, really hairy. But, um, you know, I've been doing it. This is year three now. Um, super excited to do it again and get all those toys away. And um, you can donate. Uh, I think Rachel and Craig Hoffman are handling the donations directly. And also you can come out if you would like uh, tomorrow at 6.30. I can shoot you the link for... Um, where the location is, the toy store, but you're welcome to come out, come hang out. I think it'll be me, Andy Sullivan, and Alicia Clark. So they are two superstars, and I'll be hanging out with them. So I think it's definitely worth your time. Um, it's great, obviously, when anybody can be charitable with their time, with their money, whatever it is. You are a, a young guy. You've come in here, and you've, uh, you know, we knew already you've done a lot of stuff uh, for uh, battered women and things. W- what was it? Why? Why, yeah. why do you find the the, the, the compelled to do these things? Yeah, I mean, I think now the biggest thing for me is it's kind of like a why not, right? Like it's, <laughs> there's a need. I can help fill the need. Why did I turn my back to that? So that, that's why I've, I've kind of pursued it so much. Um, it's a journey I've been on for a while now. I mean, probably six or seven years doing this type of work. And I mean, it's been unbelievably fulfilling. 
and I, I think I've been able to touch some lives and change some lives. I mean, what more could you ask for than that? Absolutely. Well, it's great that you're doing that. Uh, congrats. All, uh, good luck also, I should say, Sunday at New York. A huge game, to say the least. Yeah. And uh, best of luck there. See if you guys can keep this going. Yeah, there we go. Appreciate you. Thanks, man. Thank you. All right. Welcoming back to the podcast. He is uh, the official uh, salary cap guru for the Standard Room Only podcast, even though he doesn't get paid. He is Brad Spielberger from Pro Football Focus. Uh, my guy, happy Thanksgiving to you. How are things? Happy Thanksgiving to you as well. Doing well. Uh, getting ready for a big spread tomorrow. You know, I got to clear the stomach a little bit to uh, put down some serious food. Absolutely. So yeah. So obviously, we're talking. We're talking on the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. This may not run though until after Washington plays Atlanta. So we're not going to focus too much on that. But I wanted to get into some bigger picture stuff. And um, you know, I, I figured after Thanksgiving, Brad could get tied up because you know people are busy so uh he's he's kindly been willing to talk to us for a few minutes here and and um i guess just first and foremost just give me your broad take the nfc uh it is a weird year the fact that washington is back in the playoff mix at six and five again we're talking before the atlanta game even if they were to lose to atlanta they would still be in the mix is bizarre because they were one and four and it's I definitely wasn't picturing this happening. But even crazier to me is when I look at the the, the the situation going forward, there's not that many teams where I'm thinking, well, they have no shot in the playoffs if they played that team because so many of these groups are down and so many of the quarterbacks that could be there are fairly underwhelming. Uh, what's your broad take on uh, the NFC right now? Oh, I completely agree. We have Washington with the 21st easiest or hardest. I'm saying this bad. Basically, top 10 easiest remaining strength of schedule or 11th, I guess. That was a bad way to explain that. Uh, <laughs> and a 51% chance of making the playoffs per our you know, PFF ELO rankings. So they're right in the thick of things, like you said. And that's before potentially beating Atlanta this weekend. Obviously, a couple injuries there and some some you know good matchup, I think, for Washington. But yeah, also, like you said, there's no daunting team. I mean, first and foremost, the number one seed as of right now, Washington has already beat this year, obviously. And then, yeah, I mean, Dallas, a good team. I think they're actually probably my favorite. Minnesota are a beatable team. They have a negative point differential, even though they're eight and two. And then San Francisco, I think, is probably one where it's it's a really, really tough matchup because the trenches are just as good for them as they are for Washington. And obviously, they have talent all over the field. But yeah, no, they're, they're, they, they could win a wild card game. A, a San Francisco-Washington matchup. They actually will play in the regular season this year, but in the playoffs will be amazing because of the whole defensive line going up against Trent Williams. Uh, that would obviously be a fantastic storyline for sure. But yeah, I mean, just, you know, I, I've talked about this a bunch, but when putting Tom Brady aside and the Bucks are, you know, obviously a bit underwhelming, just the other, the quarterbacks, you know, your Geno Smith, Daniel Jones, I need to see Jalen Hurts do something in a big game before I can say he's definitively, uh, you know, one of the great quarterbacks. Uh, Kirk Cousins obviously has not been that guy in big games. So like, it, it is just wild that Washington has been in this position. Again, we're, we're talking before Atlanta, so I'm surely going to jinx this and the Falcons will win 24-0 or something. Um, but but it is just interesting that they're here. And obviously a lot of the reason why Washington is in this position is their defense. The, the group, forget, are they back to 2020 level? I think they're beyond that. I think this is a group that looks to me far more formidable than that one did in part because the, the three former first round picks on the defensive line, they're healthy. Jerron Payne, John Allen, Montez Sweat are all playing at, you know, pro bowlish levels. Like we can have earnest conversations about where they rank, rank among those guys as well. Um, you know, I know you're watching all the teams and you can't study necessarily Washington, but uh, what what would you say about their defense? It's rounding into form. Like, how would you kind of stack them up against whoever you think are some of the better defenses in the league? Thing is, and I actually had a coworker point this out about Jack Del Rio defense. It's something of a trend. But the first month of the season, they were bottom ten in EPA per play allowed and a bunch of different metrics. They were not a great defense, and they've really now rounded into form. They're now top ten in that metric. Uh, good run defense and good coverage unit. Obviously, the, the two safeties on the back end, Derek Forrest emerging now. Cameron Curls been one of our highest graded safeties pretty much the entire season. But, of course, it all starts with that defensive line. I mean, Jonathan Allen and Montez Sweat in particular – Highest, some of the highest graded guys in their position. Both guys that also are really good against the run and the pass. They're not just one trick ponies. Not that Deron Payne is either, but yeah, they're, they're a top 10 unit. And I agree. They are, I think they're a little bit scarier. There was some part of 2020 that was 
a really favorable quarterback schedule during the regular season and who they faced. Right. And this time around, they're beating good teams and beating good offenses. Yeah, for 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 sure. And obviously, we'll see. And I think their young secondary, uh, you know, it's really turned into playmakers. And I think that's a huge deal. They really couldn't get a turnover to save their life the first half of what we've played so far this year. And now they are going into this week number one in turnover di- differential. It's I, th- I want to say it's in the five games with Heineke, but somewhere in that in that range. All right, so so let's get to the to the to the part where you uh, shine, of course, and that's the the, the salary cap fun. Uh, we have talked, I think you and I have talked several times about the Duran Payne situation going back to the offseason. And obviously we know the deal that Washington, unlike the previous year with Jonathan Allen, where they did give him an extension before the fifth year, they decided to not do that. They did not uh, offer up uh, Payne a, a, a deal. They're letting him play out the fifth year. And I think the general assumption was, what are they going to do, right? Because John Allen and Montez Sweat and Chase Young would also be you know, two of them are extension eligible soon. Allen's already been paid. Can you realistically pay four defensive linemen big money? And teams typically would rather put the money towards edge rushers than they would interior linemen. Well, now they've played some games, and Deron Payne is easily having the best year of his career. He's already set a, a career high in sacks, and we're not, you know, there's still six games left to go. He told me his, his goal entering the year is about eight. He's at six and a half as we're talking now. And so, meanwhile, Chase Young at this point hasn't even come back to play. Uh, maybe he played this week, but I doubt it. He says now, hoping he doesn't play because now this will look like a bad prediction. Um, <laughs> so there's a multiple fronts here. And I guess one is like, does Washington want to now I- intend to keep paying? We can't necessarily answer that, but they can do it in a multiple ways. And I guess let's just start with this. the The franchise tag, like that's, the, the, the most direct thing that they can do. They can just put the tag on him and bring him back. It's a tick over 18 million. So just a little bit over uh, based on what you guys are projecting um, or pr- over the cap is projecting. I, you, you work for too many people. I can't keep track. Uh, Washington. We don't know what their quarterback deal is right now because Carson Wentz is not starting. I won't say bench, but he's not starting and we don't know what they're going to spend. Can they afford to give Deron Payne the tag, knowing that that just you get the whole lump sum payment that counts as the cap, can they e- even do that, or has that math not really changed in terms of like paying so much for that one uh, unit? I think it might actually make the most sense. And so, like you said, it is a big number putting an eighteen million dollar, and obviously it's a cash and cap all in one single year with the franchise tag. But I, I don't see Carson Wentz being there next year. He's owed twenty million, so you basically just swap those two out, and you still have about thirty million dollars in cap space before any other cuts or restructures. You have you'd have forty three player, excuse me, forty four players under contract if you did that. So basically, a full lineup of players. Once you add in the draft class, you're almost 50, 53 there. Of course, there's going to be some shuffling and whatnot. But yeah, they can, and I think they maybe should. Uh, we'll get into the discussion of the market a little bit. But if they're still not sold potentially, or if they don't want to give another big multi year deal to another interior guy. Maybe you do go the one-year route because you say, all right, well, maybe we'll commit to a full year, a multi-year deal if we get a quarterback we think we can now win with this team at a high level with a quarterback, whether it's a veteran or a draft pick or whatever the case may be, but you buy yourself time. I think it actually makes a lot of sense. Now, you might be saying, well, wait, Ben, I don't understand. If John Allen signed a four-year, $72 million contract, so roughly $18 million a year, and we've been saying all along, will Deron, will Deron Payne essentially just get the John Allen contract? Why would you need to do the franchise tag? Why don't you just sign him to a deal that's maybe it's a little bit more than Allen just because the money rises up every year, but like essentially the same deal. Well, so I actually think it would be it would be very close, but I would categorize those two players differently. Yes, they're both interior guys, and Allen's deal is a great value. It has already become a phenomenal value, eighteen million per year, but. You look at the top of the nose tackle market, if you want to label him that, you know, Vita Vea is the highest paid nose tackle at 17.75. So right in that area, Kenny Clark at 17 and a half. And there are going to be a bunch of guys that fly past those numbers in this upcoming class, whether it's early extensions or, you know, maybe free agents. But I'm not even sure you would top Jonathan Allen with a deal, which I get you're saying, well, let's do it. Let's do it tomorrow if we can. It still is a major investment for, you know, to 30 something million dollars in the interior when you want to spend elsewhere. But you do have young edge rushers. Excuse me. You have your big receiver paid. 
And obviously now Jahan Dotson can can be a, a discounted wide receiver there. Like you do have flexibility around this roster. All right. But so here's where it becomes interesting, I think, with with pain and where we're going to the free agent market, uh, the veteran free agent market. Again, typically the defensive ends, pass rushers, the edge rushers get paid and the defensive tackle market is being kind of uh, ignored to a degree. I don't know. I mean, and because the, the league has been devaluing that position, not devaluing it to the extent of like running backs, but you know, if you can't, if you're not a three down player at that spot, they're just not going to pay you. Aaron Donald. Uh, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I'm sure you know them off the top of your head. Aaron Donald's average per year is around 27, 28 million dollars, and then like number two and three on the list are like uh, Leonard Williams and uh, DeForest Buckner around twenty one million. So there's a pretty decent gap there. And then you start going below that where, you know, John Allen is. I think just like last year where the wide receiver market went up leaps and bounds in ways people were not anticipating from people I've talked to, I think there's a shot that defensive tackle could be that this year in part because of who's going to be available. Uh, these Not all these players are free agents, but some are going into like their last year of their deal. Uh, Chris Jones on Kansas City, who's just a monster. Uh, Ed Oliver in Buffalo. Uh, Dexter Lawrence with the Giants. And Deron Payne. And the question to me sort of is twofold. One, does the defensive tackle market take a jump? And if so, does everybody's kind of numbers go up similar to kind of like what Terry McLaurin? He got more money in the end last year than I think most of us were anticipating when we began really thinking about it. And then secondly, if Payne, who right now has six and a half sacks, well, I guess we'll come back to that part in a second. What, what do you think about that aspect? That the defensive tackle market has been depressed, and maybe this is the offseason where, just in general, the numbers start to move up. I completely agree. I've had some similar conversations, and both, first from a football standpoint, I think we've seen now, because of the shift to playing a lot of too high safeties and a lot of softer shell coverages, we've kind of seen a renaissance where these guys actually are more valuable, because if you can just use four down linemen and can still generate a pass rush and still be gap sound and be good against the, you know, the run, it enables you to do more things on the back end and protect against the pass from a coverage standpoint. So, I think it's going to explode. Maybe not to the level of wide receiver with 10 guys getting 20 plus million per year, but I mean, you didn't even mention Jeffrey Simmons, Christian Wilkins in Miami, and then all the names you mentioned as well. I think all those guys are going to get 18 plus million per year and will we'll see the, the gap between Donald and then the next tier at 21. They'll, they'll kind of maybe find the middle of those two numbers. Right. Like nobody, I mean, Donald's in a whole other world. I know this yeah. has not been yeah. his best year, but the Rams are a mess in general, but, he, but okay. He's a whole thing. But right, DeForest Buckner at that 21 million, Leonard Williams, I think some of these guys are going to get more than that. And so now that comes to the question of, as you said before, what is Jerron, what is Jerron Payne? How has he been, how is he viewed? Because up till this year, he was always viewed as the run stuffing ver tackle where John Allen was more of the pass rusher. And part of that bore out based on numbers and also usage. They they had Matt Ionitis who would typically come in and be the pass rusher you bring in on a passing down situation with, and even when they would did a bunch of this five defensive lineman thing, Payne would end up being the nose tackle. Right. But this year, Ionitis is gone. Payne is getting, I, I asked Jack Del Rio about some of this today. He said that Payne's just being a better finisher. Now he's always had some of the potential, but now he's a better finisher and Payne today as well told me he, he agrees with that, but there's also gotta be some usage thing here. And so the question though is, Will teams view him as a guy who can be essentially a three-down player? Washington is playing him like that. They're using him a ton this year, and he's obviously getting the numbers. So if that's the case, then is there an argument to be made that he can be one of the guys who's in that, jumps into that between 21 million and 27 or 8 million, whatever Donald gets? So, yeah, so I mean, he, he got, I think you got to view him as a three down player. He played 880 snaps in 2020, 840 last year. Also, he had 47 quarterback pressures. I know he didn't have the sack numbers, maybe, but you know, about a 10% pressure percentage, which is very good for a nose tackle. Uh, honestly, like really, really good. And then this year, he has 31 pressures on 360 pass rush snaps. So close to that 10% number again. I'm not sure that these nose tackles will necessarily get to the 21 plus. Um, I think they will all approach that 2021 number and maybe, you know, I mean, a guy like Dexter Lawrence at this point, who is just putting up ridiculous numbers in New York, um, 
But then you also have free agents like a Dalvin Tomlinson, a couple other guys that should get paid again. So, yeah, it's tough. I mean, I think Jeffrey Simmons probably tops that number as well. But I, I think Payne would settle in more between the 18 to 20 um, if teams do view him that way. Yeah, I mean, again, we'll see what happens. And maybe I'm just uh, keep thinking about the receiver market where all of a sudden you're like, whoa, how much is Harry McLaurin going to get? And it was a little unique there because Washington was in this weird position. Not that every team that paid these guys doesn't need their player, but McLaurin was very valuable. Like, let's just say Buffalo didn't end up giving Stefan Diggs a new deal. They still have Josh Allen. They have plenty of stuff. People are happy with them. Nobody, as we know, is typically happy with Washington. McLaurin's a good, you know, Kavita's a very good guy that had to keep him. So he his side had a bunch of leverage. Now, Deron Payne, in theory, won't have the same leverage for multiple reasons. One, you've already got John Allen, who's, you know, one of the better defensive tackles as well. Two, they drafted Fedarian Mathis in the second round. And unfortunately for Mathis, as we know, Week one injury, he's out for the year. But then they get John Ridgeway off waivers from Dallas, who was a fifth-round pick, and he's been really fun. I know he, he made some, uh, national attention the other day for this great uh, fun suplex he, he gave to one of the Houston players. But that aside, he's been a productive player. I'm not saying he's necessarily a starter, but a guy you can use. And if you said, well, you let Payne go, and you have now Mathis and Ridgeway plus whatever else they do in the offseason, you know, maybe that gets you by. Uh, so that's all in in, in play uh, as well. So I do wonder how that plays out. But I think there's a chance that Payne gets the money. And so here's the other variable: the quarterback. Okay, so we're let's just say Car- Carson Wentz is out. It doesn't seem logical. I mean, you know, maybe he still plays this year. Heineke gets hurt or things go sideways. But okay, let's assume he's out. That takes like 26 million roughly off the books for next year, leaving you. And Heineke is also a free agent. I'm curious what you think of a, a deal for Heineke could look like as well. But even if they bring Heineke back at, I don't know, 10 million a year, which is maybe too much. I don't know what you think. Um, and you keep Sam Howell, who's obviously like a fifth round pick on a rookie deal. And that's your plan. That's not much money. But whatever, where are you going with that? Right. If they still want to go make the bigger play for quarterback, you could draft somebody in the first round. But now they're going to have a pretty lower pick. And we the veteran market is going to cost you a lot of money. So how do you look at that aspect of like, we don't quite know what their quarterback money is going to be when you're considering even keeping a guy like Payne, knowing how much that's going to cost one way or the other. I think the franchise tag comes in is that you place it, you buy yourself time to look, I mean, Derek Carr, Jimmy Garoppolo, you explore those options of potentially making a trade for a player like that, which of course is going to come with a big contract. Those are just two random examples, but you know, that caliber of quarterback that maybe is available this off season and that, I think, then dictates it. If you do that, maybe you are less inclined to give the full multi-year deal to Durant Payne. You say, all right, we're going to try to kind of go all in this one year with him. If he you know, is a world beater and takes another step, then we will figure it out. If not, maybe we make the determination. All right, now that we have the, the pricey quarterback and we have Jonathan Allen and then Montez Sweat coming up for a deal and all these things, we move on. So, yeah, if they stick with Heineke, who I do, I, I think seven to ten per year, maybe that even is a little bit generous. You look at a guy like J- Jacoby Brissett, and that you know that kind of market has been five six million per year for a like a known commodity solid backup that you know also is probably not going to become a starter overnight. Yeah, Howell. I wonder how Howell figures into the operation. You know, it's hard to tell for at this point. But I, I think the decision at quarterback could dictate the situation here. But even still, I, I mean, they do. We've talked about this. I mean, they didn't spend in free agency. They tend to avoid it to a degree. Um, they have the the premium positions are are mostly set. Which is if you know, like you mentioned, wide receiver, they obviously paid McLaurin, but the issue would be okay. We're trying to go get an edge rusher in free agency, trying to go get a receiver in free agency, trying to go get a tackle in free. You're not doing that, right? So they have they have options at their disposal if they're willing to spend some money, right? And even though they got you know the William Jackson thing was a bomb, they still have Kendall Fuller, who is a potential cap casualty if they decide they really want to move some money around. We have him and and St. Juice, so you're pretty good there. The safeties are all of a sudden between Cam Curl and Derek Forrest. You guys have them ranked very high. I think like top two safeties are both in the top four, something like that. Um, so so that's working out. Jamin Davis is playing a lot better at linebacker. Cole Holcomb is a free agent, so we'll see how it goes there. And then on the offensive line, I do think that's where they really need to tweak things. But, you know, you can use the draft picks. Maybe that's where you use a first-round pick and, and so on. Uh, and then the running backs, you know, Antonio Gibson still is a rookie deal. Brian Robinson is obviously only a rookie now. So like you said, they don't I mean, they have need, but like they don't have necessarily screaming needs. Um, but that um, you mentioned Heineke. 
So I was looking at this yesterday. Uh, I think the way I looked at it was like sort of like this. There are about 15 quarterbacks whose currently average annual salary is about 25 million or more a year. That's like Tom Brady and up. Uh, then there's a gap to about the next tier is about the 15, 14, 15 million group, which is um, James Winston kind of there. Then it drops down to about the 9 million in group. That's like Marcus Mariota. You got your rookies. I'm just talking mostly the veterans. You got rookies. And then it goes down to about six or seven. And that's where you have your players who I think are probably where Heineke is right now. Your Mitch Trubisky's, your, your Tyrod Taylor's, your Teddy Bridgewater's guys who like, you don't really want to start, but you can if you have to. This is kind of where Fitzpatrick was most of his career. And so that becomes the question is like, where does this team think they are and how 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 much you want to pay a quarterback? Which brings me to a different question for you. Um, obviously, this has not been a good year for teams that acquired or acquired or paid a lot of quarterbacks. There was Denver with Russell Wilson, uh, Green Bay, I guess, to an extent with Aaron Rodgers right now and you know even the rams they won the super bowl last year so nobody's gonna complain for them but they're a mess right now and you've got stafford's big deal etc you also have teams who are running more now which makes total sense to me if you don't have a quarterback so our team or have we reached a point where obviously if you have a stud quarterback you want to pay them but we reach a point where maybe a team like washington says all right even if somebody's available are we better off going and get that person if we're not 1 million percent confident they're going to do well and giving them money over multiple years or is there something to be said for taking the taylor heineke kind of level quarterback pair him with perhaps a rookie first or second round pick and just go cheaper there and move forward again half the quarterbacks in the nfc right now are kind of in that range anyway so i just said a lot of words <laughs> what do you think about where we're at with like a planning standpoint from for quarterbacks Oh, totally. I, I think you can look at the two moves Washington made first with Ryan Fitzpatrick. And of course, we got robbed of kind of seeing him in Washington. But I think they made the realization of you can chase those Derek Carr, Kirk Cousins, Jimmy Garoppolo. I know I just mentioned two of those guys for Washington as potential targets. But in that 25 to 35 car getting 40, obviously looks like a disaster now You know, in that range or. You save a ton of money, you keep your options open, you stay flexible, and you give the one or two year deal for seven to ten million per year. The Mariotas, the Winstons, obviously you know, Andy Dalton's a starter there in, in New Orleans, nevertheless. But I think that is probably an approach that more teams realize that if you're gonna give that top of market deal or close to it, the guy better be a I can win because of this player, not I can win with this player type of quarterback. And so yeah, then the tough part is, though, like you said, you're not going to be probably picking. You're kind of in that quarterback purgatory range of picking in the middle of the first round. You know, maybe you make a trade up or, or figure something out, and maybe you determine that is worth it because you like your roster elsewhere. But there's, of course, the disaster potential of, I mean, Montez Sweat is great, but you trade up in the first round and give Indianapolis with a 34th overall pick. So, there's you know, they take Michael Pittman, who's a great player in Indianapolis. So, there's always risks there. I think for them... If they like a quarterback prospect, if they're picking, let's say, 18th, 19th, and you got to move to like a seven for like a Will Levis or whatever, um, I'm not a fan personally, but just a name, you know, throw sure. out there. I, I think it is worth exploring that type of move unless you are dead set on you can land a guy that you believe you can win with at a high degree, you know. The thing, too, is giving the new deal like a Wilson is tougher than maybe getting a, a car who you would bring over about three years. I want to say like 90 million over three years. It's still pricey. It's still going to complicate matters, but it's you could win a, with with that contract for him around that. You can figure it out. So they get away all these options. It's, it's never an easy situation. If it was you and I would be in, you know, in the front office and not on the podcast. But I think I would lean towards try to take a rookie early and see if you can make that work. Um. Heineke is a free agent. Uh, he doesn't have to stay here. I would think on some level playing with Scott Turner, assuming Scott Turner is still the offensive coordinator. I don't mean he would get fired, but just things change uh, that that would benefit Heineke because he's the reason. The biggest reason to me why he's working perhaps more than Wentz was is he's just a savant in Turner's offense, having been with it forever. And if you go to a new place, I, you know, you got to have to start to learn something there. And, and you know, he's, Taylor Heineke is basically beloved here because we've seen his story, but another place might be like, Hey, we want a quarterback. I don't care about your, you know, your, your backstory and you're buying tennis shoes after every win and you slept on your sister's couch and whatever. Um, but like, like, I don't even know what I'm asking, but I guess like, you know, is, is there any world when you look at the other quarter, when you look at the whole quarterback scene where it's kind of a down market 
that he gets enough attention from somebody to be the Andy Dalton, the Tyrod Taylor at a minimum. I can't imagine anybody thinks he's a starter, but somebody says, hey, we're going to draft a rookie in the first round. We'd like you to be the the caretaker until then. Is that even a thing or is it probably or is he not that guy? Yeah, I mean, even, you know, Taylor and Brissett are about five million per year. So I think Washington would match that if someone else offered it. Um, I would. I don't think they would chase if someone went, you know, into that Mariota or into that you know, James Winston type range. I probably wouldn't chase that number, and I'm not sure they would either. But no, I don't. I don't think that's a big risk. I do think you make a good point where I think you see sometimes with teams when they have a pairing with a coach like a Scott Turner and a Taylor Heineke, you have that chemistry and and trust with each other. Other teams seem to like understand that too. They realize like whatever they're getting out of this guy is probably the best you're going to get out of this guy, and we'll we'll let him stay there and figure that out. Um, so yeah, long answer short, now, I don't think there's gonna be a ton of competition. I think it's more about, you know, he'll, he'll obviously want to entertain suitors, maybe boost his price a little bit, but I, I don't think to a crazy degree. Uh, and just lastly, since I have you here, um, and I'm sort of springing this on you, but just in terms of Washington's overall cap situation, you mentioned the potential money. I know that the, the, the salary cap is going to go up significantly. You can lay down the numbers for us as well if, on that, if you, if you don't mind. But just is there anything else if you look at with this group and with the salary cap situation and think, boy, this is a you know this is a guy, you know, based on what you're thinking of of, of them and, and and their value, this would be a potential salary cap guy to move on from. Or conversely, people that they you know need to keep either because it's like a Cole Holcomb who's a definitive free agent or somebody else who maybe it's just like, hey, this person's like under, kind of underpaid. You know, maybe it's a good time to 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 do something. Yeah, you know, I would say a couple guys that maybe, and they're not big contracts, but maybe a Bobby McCain now that you've had the emergence, and he's been solid and, you know, plays different roles, can play in the slot a little bit, can do different things, but maybe you feel comfortable now with the young guys there. Andrew Norwell, which I I thought was going to be a good signing, just doesn't look, I think he's lost a step where the injuries have piled up. He's had a bunch of them in his career, and you maybe kickstart the, the interior again and kind of start fresh there. So I'd probably start there. I mean, Chase Rulli, another guy on that interior that maybe you're taking a look at. I know he's had some injury stuff as well, but I think I would start there. Otherwise, though, I don't think anyone is, a like I said, a screaming need to cut this guy and, and need to move on. Um, you know, you get rid of Wentz, potentially you save $26 million, $45 million in cap space. Like I said, with most of the roster signed already, plus the draft class, you're pretty flexible to do whatever you feel like you want to do. Between Norwell, Trey Turner... Well, I guess I can't remember. He, he only sent a one-year deal, Trey Turner? Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So, but between Norwell, Trey Turner, Rouye, who's been out, had some pretty significant injuries two years in a row, and Wes Schweitzer, who gets hurt every year, unfortunately, I would almost think three of those four guys are gone. Um, and that, you know, between using your, your draft picks or, you know, free agency, they would have an, a completely new interior. It's also possible they move Sam Cosby inside. That's something I've mentioned a few times, but that would mean getting a tackle, which is even uh, more of an expensive uh, play one way or the other. So, um, yeah, no, well, well, that's good. I mean, you know, I, th- th- yeah, I think that makes sense that they don't have like crazy guys that they have to move on from. I think J.D. McKissick, unfortunately, may be another guy as well. I don't know how much money they're saving with his deal, but, you know, in- neck injuries back-to-back years, obviously, is not um, a great way uh, to-, to go. And ho- hopefully he'll be um, okay. Um Anything else from you that we need the world needs to know about? Again, we're gonna probably put this up on like Sunday or Monday. So anything you, you're working on that we should be checking out over at uh, PFF? Yeah, right, right on timing. Uh, good, good timing for us. Right on cue. At the top 25 free agents list will drop next Monday uh, or next Tuesday, uh, early week next week. So get starting to look at some of the guys you could sign. It is as I look at it so far, pretty solid free agent class at offensive line. You mentioned tackle, maybe bringing in a Mike McGlinchey at right tackle and then kick the Sam Cosby inside if you think that's a good idea. Um, you know, r- runs a kind of s- a somewhat similar system out, out in San Francisco. Uh, Elton Jenkins in Green Bay maybe gets out of Green Bay somehow. You can play him at pretty much any interior spot you'd like. Um, there are some good options. So, yeah, that'll be dropping next week. Uh, fantastic. All right, everybody check that out. Uh, Brad, you rule, especially because I was hitting you up here last minute. But, uh, you know, if I'm going to talk salary cap, who else am I going to ask? Uh, uh, you know, Rob Rogers isn't taking my call. So, uh, <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll, we'll turn to you and happy to do so. Thanks, man. Happy holiday. And uh, look forward to reading uh, your free agent story. Thank you. Have Thanksgiving. <laughs>